Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today, we are talking about lists, sheds, book towns, and bookshelves. Our guest is British author and journalist Alex Johnson, who joins us from St. Albans in the UK. Alex has written several books that have come to our attention. In 2017, he published a book of book lists, which has been very useful to someone like myself. He is also the author of Shed Working, the Alternative Workplace Revolution, which is an illustrated handbook about, well, working in sheds. Alex has also written a book called Book Towns, 45 Paradises of the Printed Word, which is another book right up my alley. Another of Alex's books is called Improbable Libraries. He's also written about bookshelf design. So, welcome Alex. Hello Richard, hi. Hi, thank you for joining us. So, I don't quite know where to start. You sound like a woodworking book lover who likes to travel. How do you describe yourself? (laughs) It's difficult, isn't it? How how do you describe yourself? I think... I'm really, I'd describe myself as a journalist, um, first and foremost, although I went out with some friends yesterday and one of them in, introduced me to uh, one of his friends and he said, uh, oh, this is Alex, he's a writer, so I think I'm morphing from journalist to something more general at the moment. Okay, so I was familiar with your books on books and book culture, but I wasn't so familiar with your um well, I guess it's a passion for sheds, and, and I believe you've just released a second book on sheds. This time it's a Haynes manual, an instruction manual, if you don't know the Haynes brand, on how to build them. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. So the first one, uh, which is my first book, Shed Working, is really more about working in sheds, working in garden offices, which are uh, much nicer than a straightforward shed. They're insulated, they're a, a, a very pleasant place to work in. Um, and that was more of a survey of what people were doing and where they were doing it and the history of working garden offices. But this new book, The Haynes Shed Manual, is a much more hands-on, uh, nuts and bolts, how to how to do four different sheds, quite small shed, quite small bike shed, uh, uh, a more garden office type shed, a larger eco shed and a prefab. So this is much more something you would buy if you want, actually wanted to make a shed yourself. Okay, so I know you're sitting in your basement at the moment, but do you have, do you work in a shed? Uh, I used to, that's that's how I got interested in it all, the whole idea. When we first moved, we were living in Madrid and we moved to, to England and uh, we bought a house and we needed more room quite quickly for various reasons. And rather than move house and spend a lot more money, we thought, oh, we'll go down the garden office route. Um, and that kind of kick-started my interest in it all. And I thought, well, if I'm doing it, there must be other people doing it around the world. And uh, certainly were. And so build, building up a community, really, was what it was all about. So did you have an existing shed, or did you build a, a shed from scratch, or have a, like a prefabs shed? Yeah, I got a prefab. I got a, at that point, so this was about um, 17 years ago, there were very few uh, suppliers of garden offices in the UK. It was right at the beginning of, of the garden office boom. Um, so it was quite hard actually to find people to do it. But yes, I got um, hired men in to do it rather than have a go myself. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust myself to waterproof it properly or anything like that, I have to say. Right, so... 
people might think it's weird that this is a book podcast and we're talking about sheds <laughs> but writers and sheds particularly British and British writers there's a long history of Dylan Thomas Philip Pullman Roald Dahl Virginia Woolf of people writing in sheds isn't this true uh, absolutely yes all those people you mentioned uh, and just around the corner from me is um, George Bernard Shaw um, where he had his shed which is remarkable it's still there uh, and it's um, rotating so he could pull a lever and move it round so he could always face the sun um, and it had a little daybed in and it had a little telephone that was linked to the house and it was great he said he used it basically so that he could go there and work and any callers that came um, he, he didn't have to see them in fact he called his shed London so that the um, maid who opened the door could say to the visitor oh I'm afraid Mr Shaw's not here he's in London and she wasn't lying so uh... <laughs> so really I, I, they're a, a peaceful sanctuary to work in Absolutely, yeah. They're, they're a little haven. And the thing is, you, you don't have any commute. You have a 30-second commute, but you do still have the ceremony of going somewhere to work. So you have that idea that you are, you're not just working on the kitchen table or a spare bedroom. It does feel like uh, an actual special thing. You know, you're going to work. So they're, they're great. And they've become very popular now. I mean, when, as I say, when we were first looking into it, there were very few gun office supplies, and now there are, there are dozens in the UK, and it's spreading all around the world as well. So I believe there's a Shed of the Year contest in the UK as well. Yes, the, yeah, the real, I helped to judge that for several years. It's that's amazing. That's really sprouted. All the media cover massive things on it now: the television, the radio, um, print online. It, it's it's got huge. So, what's the most impressive shed you've ever seen? The most impressive one is it's a, it's a true. I, I do like George Bernard Shaw's. The one that won a couple of years ago was also rotating and it was lovely curved lines uh, they, they, they're getting away from the idea of sheds really they're their they're own little micro buildings um, the, the one that won the very first shed of the year the, the chap had built it to look like a Roman temple uh, I, I always rather liked that um, that, was, that was a very pretty one <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sort of thinking it's very much a British thing but I wonder if the garden shed is a sort of precursor to the whole tiny homes movement which i see as a worldwide movement at the moment uh yes i suppose in a sense i mean there are lots of people interested in sheds in uh, sweden australia perhaps less so in america and in canada but um i'm not i'm not sure it's certainly part of that those communities certainly overlap to some extent but whereas um say in the u.s the tiny house movement is is really quite big now and, and growing quite fast there is lots of interest in it in the UK, but it, there's no tiny house communities, and there are one or two people who build them, um, but it's it's still very very early days. But it's the same idea that we were saying before about the idea of a haven, and you know thinking small that you don't need somewhere huge. You can do well and do even better in in a, in a small space. What I see over here are yurts. <laughs> um, I see them as a second holiday home, but also. Mm. I wonder if people are also using them as a little haven. Yes, I think anything like that, anything that's a, a little sanctuary, a little, uh, a little place of, of your own. I mean, it comes back to this idea of uh, you know, room of your own, uh, of uh, Virginia Woolf's. Is that you know, if a yurt, even a tent. I know people who work in tents uh, rather than sheds. You know, it, it. I think it's anywhere that you can go to and just put some distance between you and, and the rest of the world. It sounds very appealing. It does, doesn't it? Yes, I like. Yes. <laughs> All right, lists. So, why write a book of book lists? And I'm asking this question because 
I really think the internet now has all possible variations on lists that you can imagine. So why write that book? I think there's what well, I've start off with. I think everybody's interested in lists. Um, everybody likes a good list, and they, they like lists of lists. And it's a nice, easy thing to if, of a book of them. You can pick it up and put it down. Uh, and yes, there's lots of lists that you can find over the uh, over the internet. But a lot of the information isn't pulled together, so it, it's not actually in list format. And it's only when it becomes put into a list and then explained. So as well as making the list, I also write little short essays about each one to actually say what's happening here and what they're doing and why they've picked certain ones. Um, but there's certainly I mean, as other kind of non-internet research, so I had to ask for a freedom of information, made a freedom of information uh, request to the Houses of Parliament to find out what the um, most popular books that um, MPs in the UK took out from the Parliamentary Library. Uh, and for in I, the one about IKEA, IKEA use um, books as uh, kind of interior decor in all their shops, but there's no list of that. So I actually had to go to IKEA shops and write down all the um, the books that they had, and then go and research what they all were. And they're all Swedish, so that made it even harder. And you also feature a number of historical lists. So Napoleon had a library that he took with him as he conquered Europe, and mm. Oscar Wilde had books that he read while he was in jail. How did you, how did you research those historical top topics? Uh, it's it's again it's it's difficult in a different language. It's not too hard if it's um, French or, or German. Um, I'm I'm okay with those. Um, but it is it is kind of a lot of uh, spade work trying to track down, and a lot of things uh, are partial. So, for um, Oscar Wilde, there's no one central list. It's putting um, various fragments from letters. Uh, or articles or things that are mentioned elsewhere and pulling them together and then t turning it into a list so it's using information and, and kind of uh, you know pairing it pulling it together right and what's your favorite list from the book uh, I do like the IKEA one um, I think that's interesting I, just because it's, I've, I've, I've been for years I've wondered how on earth they picked all those well I, I think my favorite section is a whole section about book kind of um, bookshelves uh, on the screen on, on television and, and cinema um, and so there's things like analyzing all the poems in the Dead Poet Society film um, or um, in Star Trek A Wrath of Khan you know what, what's the importance of um, Khan's bookshelf um, when right. you first see it in the film so uh, yes I like those are you aware that um, some bookshops and rare booksellers sell books by the yard for um, for people who want an instant library or for a film set who want well a particular bookshelf behind a character in a certain scene yes uh, it's, it, it's a it's an interesting thing. I know the um, and they're very careful about it because uh, the people who supplied the the books for one of the Indiana Jones films made sure that all the books they supplied were of the right time so you wouldn't see any that were you know published later than they, than they, they should have been so that they think about it very carefully these things Yes, I've heard of instances where you can also put on fake dust jackets yeah. to... <laughs> oh, uh, how evil is that? That's <laughs> I know, how tricky is that to show it's a book from the early 20s when the dust jacket is worth a fortune. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, one more question on lists. I, I think um, people are really interested in, in uh, the reading lists of celebrities and... The big example I would have would be David Bowie, yeah. um, that there was actually an exhibition of 
the books that he included on a on his in his library. I mean, he was a voracious reader. Um, mm. Would you agree with that point? Yes, I think I think people are always looking to um, find new new books and new ways of reading. And I think if, if you find what your hero reads, I think people are, are delighted. That got a huge amount of coverage in the UK. That list. Um, but yes, there are there are plenty of others in the world. So uh, I've got also got the list of well everything that Art Garfunkel has read since 1968. Obviously, it's not actually the whole list in the book because it's so long. Um, but he's got a list on his site. Of, of, he's put down everything that he's reading. Um, and I think it's not just current people as well. So we've got um, what Captain Scott took to the Arctic. Again, it's a partial list rather than a full list. Um, but it's fascinating just to see. You know these famous people, how they're choosing, and why they're choosing, and which books you know mean something particular to them. Yeah. So, if we go from lists uh, of books to um, book towns, mm. um, that's another topic that's very close to our heart. We we know um, the likes of Hayon Y and Wigtown very well, mm. but you were pretty exhaustive there in the, the list of book towns you managed to compile. What's your favourite book town that you you came across? I I'd say Wigtown that you mentioned just now. I, I, it's marvellous, and, and I think the the beauty of Wigtown is it really underlines what the purpose of of book towns is because 25 30 years ago wigtown was doing very badly economically a lot of the local industries had, had closed people were moving away shops were shut up it was really going nowhere um, and then they won the competition to become scotland's book town and i've made a really good fist of it they've done fantastic work and it's turned into a a, a real not not just a book town but they put on a, a huge festival every year they put on smaller ones throughout the year they have book weekends they do readings and the, it, it's astonishing the amount of effort and work a lot of it is done by volunteers um you know no, nobody's making millions out of this it's a, a proper community effort um, and the beauty is that it's in a, it's in a lovely place um it's uh you know it's coastal there's good walking you can do other things there's lots of activities there and so, as a result that the whole local economy is booming again it's uh, it's it's beautiful and i think that's what a lot of the other book towns that's why they've been started especially the ones in france um to to do a similar kind of thing um, so normally when you start a business you try and distance yourself from rivals but with book towns that's completely different you you gather mm. potentially rival sellers around you so would you say there's it's it's an example of safety in numbers yeah absolutely you have to have a critical mass really because it's a question of getting you know people um, through the doors and um, and and just to come to the the place in the in the first place. I mean, it's a bit like you know, if you start a magazine, if you're the only magazine on the magazine, right, you can get lost. Whereas if there are ten magazines all about interiors, then people have got a, a, a choice and they can actually invest. And it's the same with book towns. They a lot of um, bookshops in the book towns have their own speciality. So you might have military specialties or fictional poetry and things like that. Um, but yes, they're they're all very encouraging about trying to get people in and also teaching younger booksellers who may not know the trade as well you know what to do and how to go about things it's a it's a real i don't want to keep banging on using the word community but it is a real kind of community feel to all this they all friendly largely and and know each other very well and help each other out i saw a very interesting new york times article where a book critic off the new york times went to wigtown to uh stay in a bookshop and mm. run the bookshop over the course of the weekend yeah. uh, which is a 
a holiday vacation where you're working selling books, which I thought was it's fantastic. original. It's, a, it's kind of Airbnb thing. It's amazingly popular. That it's booked out about eighteen months in advance or something. If you want interested in doing it now, you've got to put your name down for two thousand and twenty-one. I mean, it's astonishing. Yes, it's a good idea. There's some there's some good marketeers in 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 Wigtown. I yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, now. Uh, on a books, we're also familiar with the term ephemera, so um, paper-based objects created to last only a short time. So I've noticed that you're also um, planning to bring out a book uh, about menus, which I thought was an interesting uh, item, mm. an interesting area to be exploring. W what can we expect from you in that book? Well, this is a kind of follow-up to the uh, the book list. It's a, a similar kind of idea in that, that a menu is often, you know, well, not often, is a, is a list of um, uh, sections. And rather than it being a hugely foodie book, it's not in a sense, which sounds a bit odd, but it's, it's more like a, a history book because it's using these as little snapshots and then it's the story around them. So rather than uh, entirely focusing on the food it's like what does it you know why 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 is this important what what is you know that the meaning of this and so but we've got lots of famous things in there as well so the, you know the hindenburg's last flight um a special dinner to celebrate peary reaching the north pole um what do they actually eat in asterisks on the banquet what was the first meal in space this kind of thing so you get a list of the foods an explanation of, of what they are um, uh, especially if there's something unusual or interesting about them but also you know a, a little bit of history about you know how um, fish and ship shops became so popular in the UK or which was the first place to serve an Indian takeaway in the UK which is um, quite unusual so it's um, quite um, bite-sized chunks like the book of lists um, and very well illustrated. We've got lots of menus in there and lots of other um, contemporary pictures. So, yes, that's, we've just finished that. That's going to come out in October. Yeah, I guess they show uh, what people were eating and how, in, well, if it was a, a paying restaurant, what, uh, how much they were paying. Mm. Um, but I also think there's an art and design aspect to it that's also reflected in menus. Uh, yes, we don't go into that hugely, but that, that's the beauty of having it uh, properly illustrated rather than um, just being a kind of straight, fairly dry history book, is that, um, you know, we talk about, say, the first vegetarian restaurant, which was uh, in Switzerland, Hilpel, which is doing extremely well now, uh, and we've got the the earliest menu from, from there, so you can actually see it, and it's also you can see how the... Um, uh, words were spelled differently because it was uh, nearly 200 years ago um, using K's and C's differently for, um, for their words and uh, it is, it's, it's a delight to look at them because some of them are beautifully designed the one for um, uh, Wellington's uh, celebratory victory uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a little work of art in itself I bet, I bet mm. I always think that um Restaurants in theatre districts and in Hollywood also do very well. You have enterprising waiters and waitresses who get celebrities to sign the menus, mm. which then become quite valuable. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, uh, one last question, um, which I ask all our guests, and it is what book or what books are you currently reading? Um, 
I've just finished a very interesting book about, uh, it's called Greetings from the Barricades, and it's all about revolutionary postcards in Russia just before the revolution. Um, that's fantastic, extremely well illustrated, and it's basically how the revolutionaries used postcards as propaganda. Uh, that's fascinating, that's by Toby Matthew. Um, what I'm reading at the moment is uh, Rooms of Our Own, which is um, a look at um, Virginia Woolf uh, at Monks at her, at her house in um, Monks Cross and Vida Sackville West at Sissinghurst and Eddie Sackville West at Knoll and it's a kind of interior decor look at some of the Bloomsbury set and um, that's excellent, really very good indeed. So the postcard book, mm. these were political postcards, propaganda postcards, were they actually mailed or what, what was their, what was their yeah, use? So, so some of them are mailed but they're um, also passed around between them. It's a, it's a way, it's a kind of, in fact the author mentions this, that it's a little bit like social media, it's a little bit like putting things on Facebook and GIFs and memes and things. Um, it's a way of um, getting a very complicated message out in quite a simple way uh, and being able to uh, reach a lot more people because the, the printing industry in itself and the publishing industry is also um, growing at an incredible rate, especially around 1905-1906, which is a key moment. Um, and so they, they can get out into the into the rural areas a lot more, uh, and they can just get uh, get a simple, direct, um, and obvious message out to people that you know things are not going well, and you know it's time for a change. Right. I never really thought of them like that. I saw no. some. Uh, I saw some postcards on the site the other day and they were, I thought, oh goodness, they're, they're posters, but they were actually, um, I thought they were travel posters, but they were mm. travel um, airline postcards obviously handed out to passengers as they got onto the plane, but they were from the 50s and the 60s and there were some beautiful designs on these postcards. Mm. So mm. probably the original poster might have been like £800, but the postcards were £10, much cheaper. Absolutely, yes. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's dirt cheap to do these. They can knock them up and you can do them very quickly and easily and disperse them fast. Uh, it doesn't cost a lot, so it's uh, it, it's ideal. It's, it's a fascinating yes. book. It's not something... I'd studied this period uh, at school and at university. I studied this at university and I knew nothing about it at all. Um, and I interviewed the, um, the author... Um, last week and I said I'm terribly sorry how ignorant I am and he said no don't worry even specialists have not heard about this so it's um, it's a really new whole new area of, of real interest right and the other book you mentioned um, Vita Sackville West mm. possibly the most interesting lady in the world <laughs> yes, it, I mean, the whole of the Bloomsbury said, uh, I mean, I think it's been overwritten about in some ways, but um, certainly their, their interiors of their homes and where they worked, I, I find them fascinating. The um, Charleston, which is where Virginia Woolf used to live or on holiday, is lovely, and that's open up to the public and uh, is doing very well. They have a very um, popular literary festival there too. Um, but uh, yes, I think it's it's really interesting to see where they worked and how they worked and their surroundings. Um, it, uh, Vita's um, uh, kind of writing tower at Sissinghurst. Uh, I was there about a month ago. Uh, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, who who doesn't want to work in a tower with little crannies and a marvelous view? You know, or as far as France, you can see as far as France from the top of her tower on a clear day. So, so she's uh, a writer and a poet, but is also famed for her garden design at that that stately home. If I'm correct. Yes, absolutely. Yes, um, it's she a very special white garden that she when when they um, 
arrived and when they first bought it it was it was completely derelict and she she built it all up well she, she built it she got a team of gardeners to do it but yeah she designed it all and it, yeah, it's lovely very popular now it's national trust so you do get a lot of visitors there but it's beautiful which brings us full circle to gardens and garden sheds. Yeah, yes, because because her son has a, had a, a lovely one built, um, which was the uh, right right by their moat where he could work, and uh, it, it, that's beautiful. Lovely, thank you. So that's all we have uh, time for this week. I want to say a huge thank you to Alex for joining us. Um, Alex's books are all ov- available all over the place, but you can learn more about everything he does at thealexjohnson.co.uk and that site links off to various blogs that Alex also writes so I recommend having a look at his books and that's all we have time for thank you very much and I'll see you soon